Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans. Welcome to the Peristyle Podcast. On a Sunday, we got to recap the second full week of the Todd McNair trial with Dan Weber from uscfootball.com. Of course, he's been down there in downtown Los Angeles, along with Keela York, talking about this trial. Every minute of every day, they've been down there in the courtroom. So we're going to get a full update of what's been going on. We're doing it on Sunday because... Pretty much all during the week, he's at the courtroom. So we want to get him on the weekends. We did it last weekend. We're doing it again this weekend. Hope you guys enjoy this one. If you have any questions or comments, podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address. Or if you'd like to call us or text us, the number is 424-254-9141. That's 424-254-9141. Send us a text with something that's on your mind. Leave us a voicemail. We got a couple of voicemails to play today. We got a bunch of emails and questions to get to for Dan. And the focus is going to be, like I said, the Todd McNair trial against the NCAA. We're kind of winding down, Dan. What's up, bud? How are you? Well, uh, you would think so. I mean, it's it's been, uh, I guess this is what, day 13 uh, we finished. So uh, this will be 14 on Monday. Uh, And they talked about three weeks. I'm not sure now if they counted the first three days of jury selection or not as part of the, the three weeks. They keep the judge keeps asking them, "Are we on? Uh, you know, are we on schedule?" And so uh, it does seem like there's pretty much to do next week. They've got um, um, uh, a couple of the members of the NCA panel uh, who are going to be live. Uh, and not video. Uh, Eleanor Myers, the Temple Law professor, who was a little troubled by the uh, mistakes were made in the investigation, and Dennis Thomas, the commissioner of the MEAC uh, conference, uh, are both going to be live. And there had been some tra- uh, travel issues, and when they were going to schedule them, and should, can they go ahead go out of order? Uh, we've heard that uh, Greg Sankey, who is the commissioner of the SEC and the current chairman of the committee on infractions, huh? How about that? Uh, is uh, is scheduled for a video deposition. We've heard that maybe there's a uh, an expert witness who who might testify for Todd, but we're not absolutely certain. But but I know there were as many as 27 on the original witness list. So how that's all going to happen? We've still got an hour and 40 minutes left of Josephine Petudo's uh, video testimony. So um, so I'm not the most optimistic person that they'll get it finished by the end of, uh, end of next week. But, uh, but they keep saying that they're trying to, uh, so we'll see. We will see. And we got questions. We want to get your thoughts on what's going on there. We want to really give everyone uh, up to speed and get your thoughts on what's going on. Of course, it's a defamation, defamation lawsuit, uh, Todd McNair versus the NCAA. It's been years and years in the making. It's finally here. Things are looking pretty good on the Todd McNair side from what I've seen. We want to get Dan's thoughts and all that. Before we jump into it all, wanted to thank our sponsor. We love our sponsor, Trader Joe's. They've been awesome to us. Uh, definitely go check it out. I've told you a million times I got a, a new one in my 
Hood in Hermosa Beach, and we go there all the time. Actually, had these uh, cinnamon rolls, Dan. They're really good with these with uh, icing on it. This morning, my my wife made them. Mm. I got back from uh, Nashville last night, so she made me breakfast this morning, and uh, those. And she's like, "These are Trader Joe's cinnamon rolls." I'm like, "Perfect! I can talk about that on the podcast today." And man, I've never had them before. They were really good. Wish I had some right now. Actually, <laughs> now that you uh, mentioned that, I think we have a couple extra. I can uh, bring them mm-hmm. over, but. Um, definitely check it out if you're you're if you're around USC. The the new one over there at the University Village, USC Village, is awesome. Uh, super good for tailgating. I think it's going to change the face of tailgating around USC. Uh, make it a little bit easier. You can just pop over there and, and pick up some stuff that you need and enjoy it uh, on campus, and then walk over to the game. So um, we love Trader Joe's. Uh, definitely check out those cinnamon rolls. Let me know what you think if you get them. Um, okay. Yeah, check about Dan. Okay, so. I don't know if we should jump in with questions. You know what? We have a voicemail question that was from about a week ago, and it's talking about the jury makeup. So this might be a good one to start with. Um, kind of get your thoughts on that. Whatever you can say, I'll play this. Right. One. I'll play this one first, and then we'll you can talk about. It. Here you go. This question is for Dan Weber or Ryan Abraham from Bill and Plano. I was wondering, guys, if in the Todd McNair versus NCAA trial, the makeup of the jury listening to this case is the ethnic makeup of that jury, do you think, going to be anything that would favor or disfavor Todd in his attempt to recover damages? Thanks, guys, and await your answer. Yeah, I think well, I I think I, I have hesitated to go too heavily into the ethnic makeup because I, I, it it's something I resist a little bit just with the thought that you know an ethnic uh, you know background of one direction or another would would predetermine anything you know uh, of how a, how a trial turns out. Okay, so uh, no, uh, saying that. Uh, I think we can easily, you know, and, and we don't want to do anything. Uh, one of the things that happens is we're at the end of the of these giant corridors. Uh, we're on the fifth floor, and there are a number of benches uh, in different places. But coming and going in between sessions, uh, you have to make sure that you're not anywhere near the jurors because you don't want to influence them. You don't want to have them over here. And if you're somewhere and somebody comes up and asks you about something, you'll want to be careful. You know, you, you, you might move down the corridor a good bit or, or whatever, or just say, basically, I don't think I can answer that at this point. Uh, so there's a lot of that. And the, the, the judge, you know, judge Schaller cautions uh, the jurors every time on leaving uh, uh, for the day to not, you know, talk about the case, not do any research on the case, not, uh, you know, not read any media on the case and all that. So we've kind of hesitated to be real direct about the jury. Uh, I think one of the things uh, you could say, and maybe it's not all that a surprise, that nine, uh, nine women, three men. And, you know, women, I would guess, in many cases are maybe more available to be jurors. Again, not to stereotype. Uh, but, uh, but I would say this. If you want... Uh, we're, trying to figure out how to say this. I was saying the other day, if you went outside the uh, Stanley Moss courthouse down on Hill Street 
and what and the first hundred people that came by and you took out all the attorneys and just said you're okay and, and you just took the sample that was left of the first hundred people that you saw outside the courthouse minus all the attorneys or the and the policemen and the sheriffs and all that kind of thing uh, that would be your jury. Uh, it would be very representative of uh, of downtown L.A. And and I, I honestly don't know how far downtown L.A. goes, but I think they're they're totally representative of downtown L.A. Uh, I certainly think they're taking it seriously. I think they're paying attention. Um, I think they're engaged. Uh, you know, they laugh at the right places. Uh, I'm real impressed with the foreman in terms of his ability to to kind of be in charge. I would say if you looked at the 12 people, if you asked me how many do you think knew what the NCAA was going into this trial, I would, you know, have said maybe, you know, maybe a couple. How many knew USC? I would say most would know uh, what USC is, obviously. Uh, but uh, how many been to a USC football game? You know, maybe a couple, maybe, uh, and, and I, you know, I could be completely wrong about that, but uh, that, that's just from off the top of my head. But, but I don't have any uh, any negative sense at all about this jury. I, I really like what I'm seeing in terms of uh, them being serious about this, and, and it's kind of a, you know, uh, a disruption in your life. Uh, you know, having to get yourself to the courthouse every morning and, um, you know, hang out all day. And, and this is something that, you know, they're not involved. In. I mean, this is, you know, college football is not something these folks are involved in, but I think that's where the connection can, uh, Todd McNair make a connection with these people or can the NCA make a connection that they were, you know, as they say, just doing the right, you know, doing whatever they're supposed to be doing. Um, but, uh, that's about as as much as you know. It's a it's a mixture, you know. To not to go into absolute ethnic, uh, you know, detail, but it's a it's a complete mixture of of the, of what L.A. is. L.A. is a uh, you know a complete uh, you know. I, I'm guessing maybe there are I don't know New York or Toronto or whatever have more ethnic mix than than L.A. I doubt it. Uh, but it's, uh, you know, it's a really representative of the, uh, of the ethnic mix of, uh, of Los Angeles. The, uh, we had a question from Bear Secutor too. Um, how many of the jurors have a college degree? Probably can't answer that. I don't know if that's something that would come out afterwards or anything. Yeah. I mean, you wouldn't think the majority would not, I would, I would guess, uh, wouldn't surprise me if, you know, a couple do. Uh, I mean, um, the yeah. I just it, it's something you probably just don't want to go into because basically we can't talk to them. They can't talk to us, you know. And you're just going by appearances, and that's that gets you. You know, maybe don't want to don't want to do that at this point at all. Uh, I just I don't know that that's just something I'm comfortable with, with doing. Yeah. And that you know, completely makes sense. Um, we did get a lot of emails like this one we got from Earl in West LA. Just wanted to take a moment to compliment the extraordinary work 
Keely and Dan are doing covering the Todd McNair trial. They are they are doing an incredible job, or incredibly fine job, providing in-depth coverage and thought-provoking insight. Kudos to them both. Thank you, Earl and West LA. And I, I've got tweets and uh, excuse me, emails, texts uh, about that quite a bit. So props to you, Dan. Uh, but there, yeah, and, and props to Keely. But there seems to be a lot of USC people that are really interested in what you're doing, and they really appreciate the kind of coverage you guys have been providing. Well, I kind of had that, you know, and over the, uh, I mean, it's hard to believe this started 14 years ago, uh, according to the NCAA, 2004 season. Uh, so, I mean, it's been 14 years. Uh, and, uh, and certainly we've been on it, did the first story, uh, missteps on McNair, uh, uscfootball.com did, uh, after the decision came down before the lawsuit was filed and had tried to be there every step of the way. And I know we probably drove people crazy with some of the stuff in the war room with, you know, and I know people were saying it's never going to happen. Nothing's going to come of this. You're just driving us crazy. Stop. You know, we don't want to hear it anymore. And, and I, I didn't disagree in some ways with, uh, you know, people reacting like that, but, uh, but it has, and we're still there, and we're just trying to, you know, to uh, to keep you as up to date as we can on uh, on what's going on going around. And it, it it's really pretty neat to see uh, the thousands of people that are following the uh, following the the trial. I mean, it's uh, that's very rewarding, and uh, we really, you know, really appreciate uh, everybody doing that and 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 being as serious as they can be. And you know, you can be down at the courtroom courthouse sitting off to the side, just typing away and people will come up and say, I'm a lawyer. I'm, you know, whatever. I'm just stopping by to thank you so much. Uh, you know, I don't post on the, on the P, but, but I've been keeping up with this and, uh, I'm going to go in for a little bit and, you know, how's it going? You know, all that. And that's kind of neat, uh, that people are following it, you know, the way they are. And I, I, we really appreciate that. And I think Todd probably really appreciates that. And, and uh, and let's just see how this goes. Yeah. Uh, there's a couple more questions from Bear Secutor. So he had the jury one. He also wanted to know, hasn't Todd McNair already established a figure for the damages he is seeking? I don't think so. I, I, I mean, I think a big part of that is, you know, if you win, what do you do with punitive damages? And And, and there are ways in, you know, and I guess that the judge would, you know, instruct the jury as to, you know, did the NCAA uh, do anything to mitigate what they did? Or did they kind of basically say, no, we, you know, we got it right. We're not going to do anything. We're not going to change what we're doing. This is how we do things. This is who we are. Uh, I think that becomes like a second phase. Uh, But you would think he would have maybe a base that you think, what did this thing cost me? And, and I don't know how you get away from just the economic damages of, you know, losing a $250,000 a year job and the other damages to, you know, your, your self-esteem and your family and all of the things that have happened, uh, you know, to, uh, to Todd and his family uh, in, in these intervening years. Um, how do you put a price tag on that? And, and as Todd said, it's not about the money. You know, it's about you know, getting, getting his name back, getting his reputation back. And, uh, I don't know how, how you would quantify that, but, uh, I'm sure 
some people have an idea. I mean, the NCA guy, first one to raise it, the NCA attorney uh, said, millions, uh, Mr. McNair. And then he gave Mr. McNair a chance to say, no, it's not about money. It's about something much more important than money. And uh, that was um, that was one of the, the places where the NCA kind of opened it up for Todd to, to really show uh, who he is and what he's thinking about and what this has done to him. And uh, so... So I don't know. I, I mean, I would have a number, but I think everybody could come up with their own number maybe at this point. And, you know, my number, I think, would be higher because of punitive. I mean, I would I would think, you know, you should do, you should pay a penalty uh, for doing this to uh, to somebody uh, without a uh, good cause. And so we'll see, you know, where that goes. But but I don't think I'm not hearing any kind of like really specific number, Earl? No. The uh, um, it's funny that was from Bearskewer though. But so oh, I'm sorry, that was Bearskewer. I'm sorry, Earl was the first one. Yeah. No, no I'm not there. Uh, just not quite hearing that kind of discussion. The um, it's funny when you said that kind of reminded me when I was listening to some of I haven't listened to everything yet, but I've listened to uh, some of the Todd McNair testimony, and the impression I kind of got was that the NCAA lawyers would just like to ask him yes or no questions because if if Todd actually speaks, it probably means they don't know what they're talking about and then he's going to look good. Is that the kind of feeling you got too? Well, and they went back and forth because he said that um, that Reggie, he, he had a couple of uh, evaluations about Reggie. And he talked about, you know, what a, a great team player and, uh, and how focused he was. But then he also said that uh, the reason he made so many phone calls was he would be sitting in, uh, in the film room watching film, and he'd see something, and he would just call Reggie and say, hey, I just noticed this on this play, and, and you could do this. Boom. And he said, I did that because... Reggie wasn't a book uh, note taker. Reggie wasn't a guy that really, and he, he it was interesting. He said, Landale White was, but not Reggie. And so the guy comes back and says, aha, you said he was such a team player and so focused, but he wasn't, you know, a, uh, um, a kind of a, a football uh, playbook guy. You know, he wasn't that guy. How can that be, Mr. McNair? And, he, and, and Todd said, look, Reggie was as focused on Reggie, on his himself becoming a great football player in terms of it's 6.30 every morning, he's in the weight room, practiced like crazy, worked as hard as you could possibly work. But he wasn't the guy who was going to spend time looking at, up, you know, at notebooks. And, and so this was a way for Reggie to understand what he was doing. And the, and the guy said to me, oh, you said he was selfish because he didn't show up at the party. I mean, he didn't show up the night to pick up Percy Harvin when he was out with his family and Lake and Michaels. And, um, or at least we assume Lake and Michaels. Uh, and, and Todd said, no, Reggie was focused on Reggie. Picking up Percy Harvin probably didn't do Reggie any good. It didn't, you know, it just wasn't something that Reggie was focused on in his own life. But he said, you know, he was a good student. He knew you had to be a good student. 
he didn't let girls take over his life like he said some guys at that age do. He said Reggie wanted to be a great football player, and he was. And the NCAA attorney kept asking about that. And Todd said, finally, he said, what we have here is a class of cultures. I've played football. I know what's go- I know how this works. You haven't. You don't. Boing, another mic drop. You know, I mean, it's just like you gave me a chance. And Todd just finally looked at him like, I don't think I can explain this to you. I don't think you're capable of understanding it. And, you know, that's uh, just those things just kept happening. Yeah. The uh, one of the other things that was interesting was uh, the, the we talked about this off air, the vote. Uh, for how you know how they voted against Todd, that they somehow didn't remember how it went. Barrett's wants to know why isn't McNair's lawyer asking each committee on infractions member how they voted, even if they quote unquote forgot what the overall vote was? LOL. Well, this is kind of interesting uh, because we've had different stories from different people. We've had people say, "Oh, I think there was consensus," or. It might have been by the end of it unanimous, or then we heard five three six two seven one. Uh, what we know is that they thought I think they could wrap it up at the end, you know, February whatever, the end of February when they had the hearings, uh, like the twenty first or whatever, or the twenty second or the, and then all of a sudden they all had to go home. And they couldn't wrap it up the last week of February. And they couldn't wrap it up the first week of March. And then it went through the whole month of March. And then through the whole month of April. And then they couldn't even tell you if it happened in the month of May. Now they they come out with it on June 10th. So no one seems to know who actually wrote it. Because some things were changed in the writing and, you know, who made the phone call to the famous phone call on January 8th, uh, 2005 or 2006 and who made it where they get, you know, they kind of get the facts right by the end, the very end. But nobody's quite willing to say, well, I wrote that. Nobody's willing to say what exactly happened. I mean, it, it's almost not possible, apparently, to document that there really was a final vote. It just sort of happened, it seems. There were no notes kept that are still available. Uh, the uh, uh, Shep Cooper, the NCA uh, Committee on Infractions uh, coordinator, thinks he destroyed them, probably, which is what he usually probably did. But he's not sure exactly when that happened. I mean... This is not something, and Barry, you're right, it would be interesting if you could ask them all. You're getting different answers from the ones so far. Uh, it, you know, did they actually have a final vote on McNair anyway? Uh, no one seems to know. Interesting. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. Uh, his last thing he said for Bear Secutor Hard for me to believe any college-educated ed- juror has not already decided for McNair. I don't even think he needed to take the stand. The self-serving and du- uh, duplicious NCAA testimony uh, strains uh, credibility when compared to a uh, 
a priori evidence. Jesus, he's trying to use every freaking. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy crap, dude. Hold, calm down, Bear Scooter. Yeah. All right. Um, then McNair was a horrible liar. We need to throw the book at him. Now, all those penalties weren't so bad. Then we are committed to a fair process. Now, I'm not familiar with the term fair process with regards to COI hearings. Then I really wanted to influence the voters and wrote a four page rant to do that. Now, I didn't participate because I didn't have a vote. Oh, you were just practicing your speed typing. Oh, and neither is a judge when he rules on trials, motion slash matters, but he isn't a participant, et cetera, et cetera. The McNair USC show trial was not simply a sloppy, malicious uh, uh, to cover up. I think McNair's lawyers could easily get NCAA witnesses to perjure themselves if they haven't already. Bear secutor. There's a lot there. I don't. I don't think you need to have a college degree to pick that up in the courtroom. Uh, I think there's a lot of uh, just watching the witnesses and hearing their story, and watching Todd and hearing his story. Uh, I don't think. I really don't think that requires a college degree to to decide which of these stories is more likely, which of these people was more likely telling the truth. Uh, it, 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 so, so, I mean, I think you're right on every point you make, obviously, uh, uh, that, uh, you know, that they certainly do change the, you know, what, what does, I mean, I, I, one of the things I keep thinking as I'm going through this and hearing them describe, you know, what participate means and what influence means and blah, blah, blah. And you keep thinking that line, and how I know this from the Prince's Bride, where the guy says, you keep using that term, but I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> yeah. It, inconceivable. He says inconceivable. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't mean what you think it means. And uh, that's kind of what, what is happening, I think. And, and I, you know, I mean, I'm not sure of everybody there, you know, they're, uh, their uh, first language was was English, but uh, but I think I, I'd be surprised if they're not picking up on on that kind of thing. Uh, uh, I, it would it would surprise me. It it's, it seems kind of obvious, uh, you know. And it's hard to separate yourself because we've been in, you know immersed in this case for all these years, and and you kind of know all the details and uh, and and what that must look what this case must look like to somebody that maybe did not know that there was an NCAA or that it mattered or what you know anything about college athletics I mean I'm guessing some of those you know these people say whoa uh, an assistant coach in college football back then was making two hundred fifty thousand dollars a year wow what's going on here this is crazy but um, so it's a whole different world but I think some of the basic stuff is, uh, you know, who's telling you the, the straight story when you read some of their emails and then you hear them say what they were really doing. Uh, they don't exactly, uh, as, as the NCAA attorney says, they don't exactly line up. They don't exactly track. Well, he's talking about Todd, but, uh, but I think, you know, in in some people's minds, that might be uh, about the NCA uh, and their actions in this case. So, how do you think things are going to unfold this week? Uh, it seems like you're thinking it's going to go further after this week, go a little bit further. But what what do you think is supposed to happen, and how's it going to 
kind of wind up uh, if it's going well, to. Well, I mean, I think they got two more live witnesses, uh, uh, the NCAA does, uh, with uh, shots that, um, um, you know, probably trying to explain some of the things that they think haven't maybe been explained so well. Uh, I, I would, I would imagine they're going to try to, you know, say, no, uh, the, the, we weren't really that influenced or, you know, we, and I, you know, I don't know how they're going to describe, I mean, Eleanor Myers made it really clear that she didn't, she didn't think the invest, she called the investigation botched, you know, and you ask the other members and they'll say, well, I don't, I don't think it was really botched, uh. I don't know that it mattered that much that we got all these questions, you know, the information that we asked Todd to answer about. We got all the all the information in there wrong, and then we found him guilty of lying uh, when he addressed it. But uh, uh, so I, I, I'll be interested to see how those two uh, express themselves on the stand, and uh, because there are a lot of questions still to be answered about what exactly happened in the Committee on Infractions uh, deliberations. How did they get from here to there? And uh, I don't think we know what exactly the story was. Uh, and maybe by, you know, maybe that's, they don't want us to know the story. They kind of act like they they don't, that, oh, they're supposed to be, you know, um, that, you know, deliberations are supposed to be confidential and whatever. Uh, uh, so until we hear those two witnesses, I don't, I'm not sure exactly where this is, is going to go. Uh, I mean, I just think the NCAA has got a tough case to defend. I, I think it's really, and they're relitigating the case and kind of going over the same ground over and over again uh, and saying, we all agreed, you know, that you weren't telling the truth. I think if I had to say the biggest issue for the NCAA right now is, they spent a lot of time, uh, there, were, there was a lot of time spent in those early video depositions with people saying that Todd McNair was an uneth- guilty of unethical conduct and he was a lying so-and-so. And then the jury gets to meet Todd McNair and he doesn't come across like that at all. And I would think squaring that you know, circle for the NCAA to say, we said all this about him, and these bad things happened to him, and now you've seen him, and hmm, he doesn't exactly look or sound like that guy that we said he was. Uh, I think that's that's going to be the hard hard part for the NCA. So I think they go over the case and over the case and over the case and say kind of, well, we did the best we could, and this was the information we had. This was the call we made. You know, not our fault. And then Todd's, you know, basically they want to tell Todd's story. And I, I just thought the, the dramatic moment was, you can't make me know Todd or, uh, uh, Lloyd Lake. Nothing you can do. I didn't know him. I don't know him. There's nothing you can do. No hearings, no trial, no nothing that you can do to make me say, to make me actually know who Lloyd Lake was it's not possible. That was powerful because the, the NCA's, you know, that's the key point in the whole case was that Todd knew Lloyd Lake and he knew what was going on and didn't, 
didn't tell anybody at USC about it and didn't tell the truth when the NCAA asked him about it. If that, if the jury says, I don't think that really happened like that. I don't, you know, what, where does the NCAA go after that? I mean, it's just, that's the, the key point. And, um, you know, and, and we're obviously see it from one point of view because we've seen it happen and, de- and develop over all these years. And we've seen the facts as they develop and what people knew and what reasonable, you know, they, the NCA preaches a standard of, of common sense that they use their common sense and their common sense told them that Todd was lying. And when you get the whole, all the facts uh, put out there, common sense probably doesn't go that direction. It was like a hope and a prayer uh, that the NCA could connect Todd, you know, to the, uh, you know, to Lloyd Lake and, it doesn't look like, you know, at this point in relitigating the USC case, it doesn't look like uh, the NCAA has, uh, has made the case uh, again. But, uh, but we'll hear from the two live witnesses this week, and, and um, I'll be interested, really interested, the more we can get from people who are inside the committee. What did they know? What did they talk about? What did they say? What influenced them? And how did they come to a final resolution of, of, of what happened? And then, you know, if, if they didn't do it fairly, if they didn't do it the way they were supposed to by the NCAA bylaws, and then they published this, and as a result, Todd McNair hasn't had, been able to get a coaching job in seven years, they're pretty, um, they're pretty exposed, you would think, uh, in terms of a defamation case. So... Uh, that's kind of where we are, I think. Okay. I'm not a lawyer. I don't even, you know, don't even pretend to be one. It's just, <laughs> uh, just what what it looks like. Uh, I know people say, I, and I have had lawyers come up in the court courthouse and say, you have to have legal training, right? And I said, no, I just, I'm here every day paying attention. We've been paying attention to this case for a long time. But, uh, but uh, we're hoping that we're not giving you any bad information uh, uh having not been a lawyer but uh well i mean but, a lot of what usc fans want to know and we talked about this last week a little bit seems like it's going the right direction obviously i mean who knows what's going to happen when you got a jury but um you know a positive direction for todd mcnair what does that end up meaning for usc we had a question from john and brea and he, he wrote back and said you know i know you guys talked about this a little bit last week but that's okay because this is usually what USC fans kind of care the most about. So I'll read his question and get your thoughts. He said, does the Todd McNair trial help to put wind in the sails of your bring back Reggie Bush campaign? I st- that's mine, I guess, um, which right. I have I really worked on my fault. Uh, I still can't believe they are the fans slash students, such alumni are still being punished with the disassociation of a player that meant so much to USC on the field and still does. I know he was, it was self-imposed, but maybe it can be self-retracted. How about we start a fund to make a few thousand cardinal colored T-shirts with a gold number five on them and give them away outside the Coliseum before the first game this year? Maybe a grassroots, unofficial, non-sanctioned Reggie Bush Day during one of the home games this year. The trial opens up some old wounds and makes me even more disappointed in USC's unwillingness to fight for the future of the program back when this was happening. Fight on, John and Brea. I think one of the problems is that... um that uh, Reggie hasn't ever maybe completely come out and apologized. And 
said, you know, whatever he did, you know, hasn't ever really maybe uh, said all of the things that you would maybe like to hear him say. And, and I, I can understand that because if your parents are involved, your stepdad, your mom, maybe you're really limited in what you can say with that involvement. So, you know, Reggie can be in a kind of a difficult place about this, but it would be hard, I think, for people maybe to accept all of that if, you know, and, and, and totally accept back into the fold and all of that if that hasn't happened. I mean, if, if there's a way you could really, you know, put that together to, you know, have Reggie, you know, with, just say what what's in his heart about you know what happened with Todd and USC. I mean, I'm glad we learned that you know Reggie did did uh, support Todd to the extent of sixty one thousand five hundred dollars uh, when Todd you know needed it, and uh, I mean, and that's a good thing. But uh, but I think that's a, that's a little more difficult to just completely uh, you know make this go away. And bring Reggie back. I mean, it, it does seem ridiculous that, you know, people like, you know, Bruce Pearl and Calvin Sampson are back coaching and, and making tons of money at NCAA schools or that Jim Tressel is the president of Youngstown State. And Reggie Bush has been disassociated from USC forever. I mean, that's just, it's ridiculous on its face. I mean, it's just obvious that, uh, that that shouldn't be the case. And, and, and maybe that can be uh, part of some kind of a post-trial deal with the NCAA. I mean, it's just an absolutely stunningly stupid penalty that the NCAA just threw in there just to be uh, especially mean uh, to USC because they were so threatened by USC at the time. But, um, uh, but I don't know how the Reggie Bush thing works uh, exactly without – more from Reggie that that might be difficult for him to do. Yeah, we'll see. Um, there's a thread too on uh, on the Peristyle. Uh, I forget who he started, but there's like everyone knows how this goes. So he was basically saying like McNair's going to win, but it doesn't mean anything for USC. Is there any hope for the USC fans that think this could mean something for USC? I, you know. USC, they have, to, uh, they have to take a look at it differently from the way they've looked at it to this point. And I guess there's a possibility. They're not starting a $6 billion fundraising campaign now. They're basically, you know, past that mark. They're successful. They've done an unbelievable, you know, the, it was the biggest um, fundraising campaign in, uh, uh, you know, uni- higher education history. And that survived, and they did well despite what the NCAA did to them, you know, is it the kind of thing that, you know, somebody at USC says, you know, let's just do the right thing here. Uh, and, uh, you know, you might have to, if you're USC, you might have to say, you know, maybe we should have been a little more aggressive back in 2012 when Judge Schaller ruled that, uh, that uh, Todd McNair definitely had a, a defamation case and had a chance to win and that the, uh, emails that he had seen to that point before full discovery made him think that that was the case. One would have liked for USC at that point to have told the NCA that they expected as the 
um, as a member of the NCA and as the basically injured party here to be able to see all the emails and all the discovery themselves and, and, and decide for themselves. I think that was a winning issue. Had the had USC figured, had decided and told the NCA, look, we want to see everything. And if we don't get it, we may, on that narrow issue, we may go after you. Because I'm not sure it ever was going to be a winning issue to go after the NCA about the penalties and all that. They would have held that over USC, even if they would have stopped. Uh, the uh, penalties uh, uh, they would have said, and people would have used that against USC. Well, they're going to get hit with them. You don't, you know. And so I don't know that that would have been a, the way to go. But now that USC, you know, took it all and uh, said we're going to, we'll accept it and we'll move on. Uh, I think USC has the moral high ground without any doubt, the legal high ground, the you know public relations high ground, you name it, uh, and. I think they. I would like to see USC craft uh, uh, some sort of strategy that really uh, uh, redresses some of this. Now, the problem USC's got is similar to the problem the NCA has in court. Who is there who can tell USC how they need to go about this? Who has the kind of understanding and expertise in this particular case or in general with dealing with the NCAA or, you know, a sense of how, how this fits in to all of college sports, especially college football, in order to help its craft the, just the right approach. It, you know, it's, it's pretty much unprecedented. The case was unprecedented. The ruling, the findings, the penalties were unprecedented. And then to be able to go back and redress uh, some of this would be unprecedented. So does USC have the ability to to put that all into some sort of focus after this trial. I don't know. Uh, uh, you would like to see them make an effort, but then I'd also like to see them figure out how to get the uh, Coliseum renovation right. <laughs> and I, I just think I'm hoping on that one too. I mean, I think those are, they kind of go hand in hand in terms of figuring out uh, some of these things and, uh, and, in the sports world, that that's a really difficult lift for people who are outside the sports world. So, so we'll see. You can always hope. There's always hope. Uh, not with the Coliseum renovation. That hope's gone. But you can <laughs> some of the yeah, other yeah, stuff. I've got one more plan. We really, I got <laughs> one more plan. Uh, absolutely, there is one way to save it. But uh, we'll, oh, uh, all right, we'll we'll wait on that one. Um, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll make it really quick. You do a, the you take the ten thousand three hundred seats from the forty uh, fifth row up to the eighty ninth row from goal line to goal line. Those ten thousand three hundred seats are being removed. You take that footprint exactly to the opposite side. You put in a cantilevered second deck of ten thousand three hundred seats from row forty five up from goal line to goal line, and the year after next you offer all of the people that are getting booted out of those seats the chance to buy essentially the exact same seats in the exact same yard line and what have you uh, in a brand-new pavilion across the way. And you have 10,300 more sideline seats than you would have had with the old plan. And I don't think it would be that expensive, and I don't think it would take that long to build. I think you could do it in the next off season, uh, and you would make a lot of people happy. 
and I think they would be willing to underwrite the construction of the pavilion uh, for their seats. So that's my take. Uh, I think it's it's not a, a, a difficult solution at all, to be honest. All right, well, after we'll we'll discuss that on a future episode of the Parastel Podcast. Is the long off season, or not really much of an yep. off season, but. Um, we do had a couple, we had a couple questions just about the team. We'll play for you first and let you go. I know it's been a, it's crazy during the week for you. So I don't want to keep you too long, but we'll do a couple quick ones. There's one, uh, voicemail. I'll play it for you now. JD from DC with this week's comment question for Dan. Dan, I don't understand all the angst over, uh, the possibility that USC might have to start a freshman quarterback this year. Um, I still see them having an easy pathway to winning the Pac-12 South and the Pac-12. Uh, let's take a look at JT Daniels. The guy already has a high-level D1 long ball. He's preternaturally bright. He's coming from a modern-day system that's very similar to USC's. Um, our O-line last year provided more than decent pass pro. It was a running uh, blocking issue uh, for the most part. If the coaches were just smart and install some two back sets and some two tight end sets, they're going to have more than enough pass pro that this guy will never throw an interception. That's not what he's about. Uh, and with our defense this year, uh, we're not going to be losing the field position battle. He's not going to have to drive 90 yards. We're not going to be three touchdowns down to people. Um, I see a clear pathway to success with Daniels at the quarterback. Sure. You know, we could lose to Stanford in the second game. You know, he's got a learning curve. There's no question about it. But we breeze through the Pac-12 South. And by the end of the year, this guy's ready to roll. Uh, for J.D., I could make that case, too. Uh, you know, I don't have the angst that, uh, as you say, that some people do about a freshman quarterback. Uh, got to make some uh, – you use the biggest word of all, though, if, if. And then you went in to talk about the coaches and all that. I mean, you've got to, here's the issue. You've got to figure out in the summer, what are you going to do? Uh, do you, for example, you've got four weeks this year to get ready for the season. Do you go two weeks getting ready, fundamental, physical, you know, really all out, and then two weeks of one mock game week and one real game week and then the UNLV week, I mean, a UNLV game. I would like them basically to do three weeks of physical fundamental football and no mock game week, forget mock game week, uh, uh, and give everybody as much opportunity to practice and play and go at it and compete as you possibly can in the summer. Uh, I'm just not sure you get much done in a mock game week. I just think that's uh, that's wasted time, especially if you've got a freshman coming in now. If you've decided to go with, the, you know, that the freshman's really in the mix, how do you split up the reps in the UNLV game? I think that's really crucial. If you think the freshman's your guy, well, you, you know, you're going to have issues with guys thinking, well, this, you know, other guys, the quarterback, thinking this isn't the place for me. How does that play out? We know how it kind of played out a couple of years ago with Sam and, uh, you know, and Max. Uh, but, uh, uh, uh I think then you, do you say do you say you know one guy plays the whole way in UNLV because he's got to be ready for the next two weeks. Um, those are hard decisions to make, and uh, I think 
that's the kind of level of, you know, maybe really hard-nosed cutthroat coaching that, that maybe we haven't seen yet and maybe we need to see. Uh, but, but, but I, I tend to agree with you that, that, that I think whoever goes out there has a chance to be pretty good. I like the idea that they are, they really seem to believe that they have to be run first, which allows the offensive line to be more aggressive and more attacking and they, they do a better job. I mean, one of the problems with pass protection may not have been as, as, as much, as good as you liked it or you were hoping it was just because the number of times Sam, uh, was hurried and tried to overcome and, 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 and all and the turnovers. I think an awful lot of that was because he was trying to stay alive in a play where he was running for his life a little bit. And then the Ohio state game comes to, you know, crown the season with, uh, the whatever, eight or nine sacks that Ohio state, uh, Ohio state got. So they got to be better at that. If they're aggressive and run first and really attack people, which we saw them do a couple of times in the spring, they didn't do it much more than that, but the couple of times we saw them do it, I kind of like the way that looked. Uh, I like the three running backs, obviously. Uh, and so um, I think there's a potential to, to do a pretty good job, and I think the defense can set things up in, in, in ways that uh, – you know, that, that you, you have a real chance to survive on the road. I mean, if you've got a good enough defense, you have a chance to survive on the road against pretty good teams if your defense is that good. Um, I think they know, they know they have to be able to run the ball, which I think will do good things for the offensive line. And I think they know they have to really shut people down on defense, which will do good things for the defensive rotations and, and just the sense of, of getting enough guys really ready to play. They got enough athletes on defense. I don't, I don't think there is any question about that. Now they got to have to have them ready to go right away and not be afraid um, to coach them up and, and, and to be confident that they've coached them up. I think some of the problems we've had over the recent years is they're not confident that they've coached these guys up enough. And, you know, that showed out, showed last year with all the big plays they gave up on, on defense where everybody's looking at one another like, what the hell, who was supposed to do what? That can't happen at all. That's got to not happen a, a bit. But, uh, but yeah, as far as angst, uh, I don't think anybody should make any, you know, you might be, you know, on the P, you want to be the first guy to say how bad things are going to be. I just don't, I don't see it. Could be. But uh, but I don't think we can possibly know that uh, you know at this point and and see what uh, see what happens. I think they got a chance to to still be uh, pretty decent with uh, with the way this. But you always hesitate when you have the and I've over these years I know if you have to say if the coaches get it right, that's one of those moments where you got to say, uh, <laughs> I mean, you can put together this scenario with these players against the other team's players. And you can say, boy, I can see how these guys can beat those guys. But if you have to always add, if the coaches get it right, then you got then You know, I wouldn't go to Vegas, uh, on, on that. Uh, but, uh, but maybe this is the kind of learning experience that everybody learned from last year. And, 
They really watching them coach them up. For example, just uh, coaching up the cornerbacks with Coach Franklin. They seem to have learned some things from last year. They really do, uh, and and that's going in a different direction from anything we've seen in recent years, and that's a good thing. So I think the run game, the way they're going to structure it, uh, looks like it's going in a different direction. That's a good thing. So you string enough of those things together, and we'll see how they get, handle the summer work and the personnel decisions and all that. There's a lot of tough calls you got to make. And uh, we'll see how that goes. We will. And uh, I have a few thoughts for you, J.D., also um, on this. agree with a lot of what Dan said. Um, If you feel that USC is going to start running a lot of two running back, two tight end sort of sets because that's where you think the strength of the team should go, uh, that ain't happening. So I will will be willing to bet you any amount of money – that USC will not run with two backs in a you know have have a play where there's two running backs in the backfield more than once per game. Like, I, I mean, I don't think that like I think they did like four or five times last year. Do you remember what shotgun he put out those numbers? It really hardly yeah. happened at all. I, I think only if Drevno you know locks them in the room and threatens them or, or something, you know, yeah. and says no, we got to you know all these play so. My hope is that they get the uh, the scheming at the line of scrimmage better. Uh, that that my guess would be there will be more two tight end sets. I think, uh, but uh, how that you know how that plays out for the rest of it, yeah, I I, I don't see the two back sets. Although you you know with three 215 pound guys who can catch it and run it and. I'm not sure how many of them can be the lead blocker, but uh, I think they could be if they wanted to be and if they got coached to be. But uh, but I think you're right about the two back sets. Uh, uh, would like to see some of that, but uh, but maybe not. Yeah, and then the other the other aspect would be, and you know, Dan is a great point. If the coaches get it right, think about the DNA of this, not just this team, but this program. Have you ever seen it shift to something like we're going to be a run first, focus on defense and, you know, punt the ball and, and play field position? Has this been a team that's done that or won games doing that? I'm not saying there's not the potential to do it, but to me, I don't think this team is going to win if you have a quarterback who's not going to be at least, you know, really good, like good. Um, if you just think you can come back and, and hand the football off and rely on the defense, to me, I just don't see that being USC Trojan football in that DNA of, the, of this era. I don't know if you think differently, Dan. Yeah, no. What I like is the idea that even if you talk about it, you just talk about it, and that helps you be more of a run-first team. And you aren't afraid to run it three, four, five times in a row, which they did in the spring occasionally. Or if it helps you in the mind of the offensive linemen that they're going to be encouraged to attack more and to be aggressive more, uh, which we saw some of in the spring. I think even though you may not go to the, uh, you know, the end uh, product that you, you, know, you might like to see, they're moving in the right direction that will help you get get there, uh, even though 
you're not going to totally see uh, see a change. I think your use of the term DNA, yeah, it's not it's not in their DNA. And what they do need to come up with kind of a it's not a personality, just a sense of this is who we are. This is how we win football games on offense. And this is what we know we can do. And I don't think we found that. It's still been too much of the gumbo uh, offense uh, with just a lot of stuff thrown in there. I think uh, having, uh, you know, having Drevno uh, to, you know, be part of this offensive, uh, you know, game planning, having uh, T with another year under his belt, um, I think, um, you know, I think I like Brian Ellis in terms of, uh, of, of being able to be a facilitator for what they need, uh, you know, from the quarterbacks. Uh, that um, I think they've got a chance to move in the right direction. Now, what, what you probably hope is, is they move in the right direction, they get the kind of success that moves them further in that direction. Where you, for example, in 2011, I don't think they knew exactly what they wanted to do with that Lane Kiffin team. But once they realized, hey, we run behind Matt Khalil and, uh, and uh, gosh, I can't, uh, the tight end, H-back. Oh, gosh, Red Ellison. Totally, yeah, yeah Red. If we do that, I don't think people can stop us. And that wasn't exactly either USC's or Lane Kiffin's DNA, uh, the way they did that, but they realized, you know, we could beat people doing this. And, you know, whatever they finished, you know, number 10 in the nation, they were probably in the top four or five teams in the country by the end of the year without any question because they just kept, uh, you know, they kept doing what worked and, um, and what did well for them. So one could maybe look at that team as an example of figuring it out on the fly uh, as they went. Uh, so, so I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't give up on them just because we are going to still keep saying if the coaches, you know, get it right. Uh, that's not a, that's not something that doesn't mean something. It, it means something. Uh, but, uh, but that doesn't mean that they can't get it right either. Uh, I think there are ways in which I mean, it, it doesn't maybe help and maybe it will help, but you look at the schedule and you say those second and third games on the road, you say, Oh, that didn't going to help. Who knows? Maybe it will help. I mean, what you wanted to do is, for example, last year we thought it helped what USC did um, to Stanford uh, early, and thought, "Oh, they've really—it's so obvious," and that went away. I mean, that game kind of just didn't have any follow-up. That game just kind of went down the memory hall, uh, and they didn't play like that. I'm not sure they played like that all year uh, again. So that can't happen. That just can't happen. Yeah. They gotta, you gotta, you know, there were some injury issues and stuff like that. But if you have a game like that, and I know other teams don't exactly play like Stanford, but still, um, you thought that was pointing them in the right direction and it didn't seem to exactly. And yet we're saying all these negative things, sort of. And yet they did win the Pac 12. You know, they. Okay, you say, well, they should have. The Pac-12 was 1-8 in the bowl games, and, and you make a good point. But, uh, you know, they did survive. And you could also say, well, they got way better players than everybody else in the Pac-12, and you make another good point. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so now you just got to – I would say that it certainly looks like they realize they've got enough good players on defense that they don't have to play – 
you know, one deep and they don't trust anybody else. It looks like they're, they know they got to trust other people and really, it looks like they, they're going to try to shut down people and, and physical and just physically take them out of the game. And I, I think they've got the personnel to do that. If you do that, I mean, we go back to that, you know, USC Auburn game and, uh, what was it, 2003, uh, down in the Plains, when they had that Auburn team that some people thought could win a national championship and had all those guys that went on to NFL success. And USC just didn't let them in the game. They just said, nope, you can't play. We're not letting you. And they didn't. And they, I think, did they get to cross the 50 once maybe and, uh, and shut them out and said, we're not letting you, uh, you know, play with us. And uh, that would be, I'd show that film to those guys every single day from now till the, you know, the UNLV game or now to the Stanford game. That's the team you want these guys to be. Uh, can they be there? I don't know. That's a high bar. But uh, that that's the team you would like to see them try to be and, and take it from there. All right. That's Dan Weber. I think we're going to wrap it up uh, here. Lots to uh, – we still have a bunch more questions to get to. Um, so like I said last week, we're going to shelve some of these Dan Weber ones about, with the team uh, until after the trial because the trial is taking up so much of his time right now. So we'll we'll definitely – I'm saving them all. We'll get to them. So I apologize if we haven't read your question yet. But we'll get to them all uh, after the trial. We'll see how this week goes. And uh, maybe – I don't know, Dan. Maybe it will be wrapped up this week and we'll, we'll have a verdict. Wouldn't that be nice? A verdict or a, a settlement or whatever. That would be uh, – that would be good if, if everybody gets it right. That uh... – that will be fine with me. All right. Well, that's Dan Weber. Make sure you check out all his great work up on uscfootball.com. Tons of notes. No one put better notes out there. What everyone's saying during the trial, check out the ghost notes on the Peristyle. You don't want to miss that. Check out Instant Analysis, of course, and lots of other videos have been going up from Keeley. So lots of great stuff. Yeah, Keely, Keely's doing an unbelievable job. She's a absolute professional uh not easy to video in, in that courtroom and to make sure, you know, you've got all the permissions uh, to do it and, uh, and and just handling it absolutely like a pro. I mean, you just can't do a better job than uh, than she's doing. Yeah, we're really proud of her. Glad you, glad you guys both are doing such great work. All right, well, that'll wrap it up. That's Dan Weber. I'm Ryan Abraham. Thanks for tuning in, and we will talk to you next time. You may have noticed that shopping at Trader Joe's is unlike shopping at other markets. People ask us all the time how we manage to have such unique, interesting, and delicious products at such great everyday prices. This is Dan Bain of Trader Joe's. The answer is simple. It's all in the way we do business. We buy directly from the manufacturer whenever possible. This helps to keep our costs low, and we pass those savings on to you. No gimmicks, just great values at honest prices. Every day at Trader Joe's. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to the Peristyle Podcast, presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. Don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your smartphone or tablet for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store. 